This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 654. This week, we look forward to hearing highlights from the Florida Mold Conference, also known as the AEML Winter Break. We'll get highlights from each of the module moderators about the domains the event focused on. We're joined by Pete Consigli, John Lafoterre, John Downey, John Isaacson, and Ken Larson. We'll focus on the theme, moisture, materials, mold, and methodology. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, after the show, check out the discussion on afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com. TSI Inc., TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com. April Air, April, AIRE.com. Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry to report that no one identified mesophilic as the medical definition of growing or thriving best in an intermediate environment. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, February 4, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in the precision instrumentation of monitoring for indoor air. Learn how to expand your IQ investigations at tsiinc.com. Here's today's IQ Radio trivia question. Name the genus of mold historically considered to be closely related to the genus Stachybotrys chartarum is in because the spores are produced in slimy heads rather than in dry ones. Back to you, Joe. All right, Cliff, let's get started with the Pete Consigli, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, who was the moving force behind the AML winter break. Pete, want to give us a quick overview of some key highlights so our audience can, you know, that couldn't make it can learn a few things. Yeah. How you doing guys? Welcome. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I mean, we got really, uh, I think good comments on the event. Um, we had uh, quite a, quite a lineup of speakers, you know, the moderators pretty much handled the four different components of the event. Uh, you know, Cliff's going to give an update, you know, we had a pre-conference workshop on, uh, legal update and the risk management and uh we had uh you know uh quite an impressive group of people that gave a variety of different perspectives 
legal expert witness, uh, IP perspective from, you know, contractor perspective and uh, insurance adjuster perspective. And I think Peter Cross is going to maybe call in on the roundup and give a little, give a little viewpoint on that. So Cliff covered that. He's going to go on in a little while. And I think uh, we made arrangements with uh, Patty Harmon, uh, the editor in chief of the uh, claims magazine and the PC 360, the digital newsletter to do a, a little blog or something on there for their audience. Uh, which will be good to get a little exposure on some of the things going on in the mold industry for the insurance guys. And, uh, you know, um, that, uh, you know, the networking was great. Um, we, there were some new products that were rolled out. We had some nice little grand prizes. It was a little thing we used to get everybody back in their seats in time. I don't have to tell you how tough that is. And particularly with the CEU program for the state, they have a lot of tough requirements. You know, they're all the assessors and the remediators you know, get their credits every two years to maintain their licensing in Florida. But, you know, we had a, we had people from uh, England and uh, uh, Canada and uh, Australia and other cold parts of the country, around the country. But, you know, mostly it was a Floridian uh, Southeast audience, but uh, a good mix. And, um, you know, I think that the, uh, um, the guys will key in on some of the, you know, some of the key talks and the key takeaways for the audience. Cliff, of course, always does a great job with the blog. So um, I'll just kick it back to you. I'll be with, uh, listening and observing. I'll uh, I'll turn my, my camera off here in a little bit and mute myself. And then when we go into the roundup and, you know, you bring on uh, a couple of the other guests and I think Ron and Brittany are going to call in uh, who are the, the host AML and, and make a few comments, you know, when we go into the roundup. So anyway, thanks a lot for the great coverage you gave to the event. And uh, particularly shout out to Clean Facts. Amanda Hose did a wonderful job. Straight talk podcast every day with Jeff Cross and of course uh, Mr. Intentional uh, Restorer did a great opening podcast and Cliff did one last week as obviously all your viewers know and uh, we, we appreciate all that support uh, that we got you know uh, from the media and uh, obviously all of our key sponsors um, that you know help underwrite the event and allow us to put this event on so um, all right. anyway, thank you guys back to you Joe. Thank you, Pete. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. You were um, the moderator of the first panel, the Legal Update and Risk Management Workshop. You want to let our audience know some of the key points that came out of that one? Absolutely, Joe. But before I do that, I think, number one, I need to set the stage. Um, the audience that was there was not your normal audience. It was a very highly sophisticated audience. The majority of the people that were there uh, were assessors. You know, one of the panelists asks who fell, you know, fell into the different categories. Vast majority were assessors. There were, uh, you know, a, a good number of remediators. And I know that there was at least one public adjuster there because I happened to have had lunch with them uh, one day. The panelists were not ordinary industry folks. I mean, each one of these guys is a true expert in their field and someone that is operating really at the top of their game. So the first panel that we had was uh, the legal panel. And there were two takeaways uh, from this. First of all, the majority of the attendees were from Florida and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on there uh, legally. There are a couple of laws that are already on the books. There's laws that are, you know, coming up and, and, and so on and so forth. And what everyone seemed to be concerned about is status of this thing called SB 76. And I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. You can't, 
uh, you know, you can't put a, a door hanger on someone's door. You know, it's like a violation of the law and it triggers all sorts of all sorts of crazy stuff. But the, the, they hit in on all the points of that. But what they did is they gave a series of takeaways for everyone that was there who was from Florida and may not have been from Florida. And I, I can go through those. Okay. First, first of all, they had five things that were missing from contracts that they feel every restoration contractor's contract should have. It should have provision for liquidated damages. It should have an attorney fee provision. It should have a venue provision. It should have a right to cancel if the contractor does not agree on the amount approved by the insurer. And it should say that the owner is responsible for payment, not the insurer. Then he, he listed, uh, a number of problems found in contracts. And one of the biggest problems is when someone decides they're going to save money and they're going to piece together a bunch of contracts uh, and, and make their own. That can be a huge uh, problem because if you don't understand the legalese, you can have one paragraph that uh, you know, neutralizes another, another one and, 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 and so on and so forth. So don't, don't make your own contract. It should include direction for payment. It should have penalty clauses. Um, it should have arbitration clauses for three-day and 10-day. And he says to try to avoid the uh, American Arbitration Association because they're very expensive. You can have independent arbitrators uh, you know, do it for significantly less money. So uh, that's, uh, that was the legal takeaway. Uh, I'd like to talk with, next about what Ken Larson did. Uh, you know, Ken Larson uh, spoke about IEPs, environmental, indoor environmental professionals. Uh, he provided the definition that the IICRC uses, which is an inv- individual with the education, training, and experience to perform an assessment of the microbial ecology of structure systems or contents on the job, create a sampling strategy, sample the indoor environment, submit it to a lab, interpret the data, determine the category of the water, you know, for establishing the scope of work. There are a couple of things in that definition that kind of concern me. And, you know, one is interpreting laboratory data. You know, I think certainly some IEPs are certainly uh, capable and have the skills and experience and training necessary to do that. I think others do not. Uh, also, how are they going to t- determine whether it's category one, two, or three water? They're going to have to send it to a laboratory, and this is going to perhaps, you know, hold up a job or whatever. Ken uh, then got into um, how important this preliminary determination of the category of water is. It essentially drives everything. You know, is it uh, top, you know, is it potable water? Is it category two? Is it category three? Is it you know, is it black water? Is it great? I mean, all these uh, all these complications uh, are there. Um, in terms of whether or not to utilize an indoor environmental professional, Ken provided some guidance on that. Uh, he felt that uh, one should be brought in for these situations. Uh, and it may not be brought in by the homeowner, may be brought in by the insurance company, may be brought in by another type of interest, uh, materially interested party. But he said in these situations, they should definitely have or they should consider hiring an IEP. OK, occupants uh, are high risk individuals, you know, chemical sensitivities, children, elderly, 
uh, so on and so forth. Uh, if a public health issue exists, you know, is this a child care facility, elderly care facility, a hospital, a public building, something like that? Uh, likelihood of adverse health effects on workers or occupants. Uh, a need to identify a, uh, a suspected contaminant, you know, maybe asbestos or something like that. Uh, contaminants are believed to have been aerosolized or need to determine if the water actually contains contamination. Another thing that Ken outlined was a career pathway for people that, you know, want to become an IEP, people that want to get become involved in this. And, uh, you know, he said, first of all, they need a formal education in restoration. Uh, they should take IIC or C classes to begin with. Then they should uh, perhaps take some of the ACAC classes and then the RIA classes. And he felt that that was about a 10-year roadmap. He said, and I think this is great advice, uh, begin, build a magnificent uh, curriculum vitae or CV. Uh, put down everything that you've done, your education, you know, uh, cases you've been involved to, clients, stuff like that. Uh, he said that this is not an extension of mold remediation protocols. Uh, because in most situations, as an IEP, you're going to be working for property owners. Uh, he says the insured insurer's uh, response varies uh, when an IEP is, is brought in. However, they rarely uh, challenge the results. Um, the insurers will often say they expect that the restorer is capable of categorizing the water. And, you know, without a chemical lab, I'm not sure exactly how they would inspect how an insurance company would expect uh, a remediator to do that. And, um, you know, contractor tells the property owner, we can begin the moment we know what category the water is. And, um, you know, we, we need to call an IEP. Final thing is the IEP's reports need to be lightning quick because, you know, you're holding up the job and, uh, you know, things can change, uh, you know, during that period. So that's uh, my take on what uh, Ken Larson said. I can move into that point's a key one, John or uh, Cliff. That's a key point. Get those reports out quick because people are waiting on making decisions based on that report. Very much so. Very much so. And you know, maybe pay an emergency lab fee or something like that in order to uh, you know get moved up to the top of the pile there. Okay, John Lapoter. Uh, you know, first of all, I've known John for a long time, and my take is that John, I think, is an outlier among assessors. You know, he has some pretty strong opinions. Uh, he likes to take charge on these projects. He likes to, uh, you know, to be the driver. He likes to call the shots on the pro on the project. And he's very, very confident. I think anyone who knows him knows this guy. It's definitely confident. He's comfortable in his own shoes, in his own knowledge, in his own experience. And, um, you know, what he does is just provide really excellent guidance for these remediators. And he doesn't just use IICS 520, as I would say the vast majority of these assessors do. He uses a number of ASTM standards uh, as well, including their uh, uh, standard on assessment. Um, he... He provides 
what I'm going to call unambiguous instructions. I mean, he actually provides a floor plan. Uh, he tells the contractor, you know, we want you to remove, uh, you know, from here to here. We want you to remove so many square feet of drywall. We want you to take the cabinets out. Very, 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 very specific. Um, you know, he does. He's not a chemical guy, so he really doesn't want ozone, hydroxyls, antimicrobial fogging and things like that to be done, uh, you know, on his project without his knowing about it and his approving it first. Um, let's see if they find any additional hidden damage, you know, he wants to know about it. Um, you know, he says that his protocol is designed to re return uh, these IICRC condition three areas back to a measurable condition one. Um, his completion goal, uh, the project's considered complete when the contained work area will have no negative effect on the surrounding unaffected condition one areas. Once the contaminant is removed, the affected and unaffected areas reach an indoor equilibrium. Um, and, you know, he goes further on to say that, you know, he, he doesn't want elevated airborne particle matter, uh, no elevations of mold species above what was predetermined. Uh, and so on and so forth, and that they do a final verification at the end. Then he goes on to provide some pretty good advice to other assessors and what not to put into your reports. You know, a lot of people just go and they cite all these different uh, documents and, you know, uh, you know, he said not to not to include any citations unless they are specifically cited in your report. So, you know, don't go throwing in the New York City guidelines and the EPA uh, school guidelines if you're working on a residential home. You know, because they're because they're inappropriate. Um, let's see. Um, again, he warned uh, assessors about what not to include in the report. Don't go cutting and pasting. Uh, stuff uh, in there, uh, you know, particularly stuff that you've plagiarized. You know, people are going to figure that out uh, pretty quickly. Um, he feels that to avoid issues with carriers, clients, remediation contractors, he wants the report to be short, site-specific, unambiguous, include an executive summary, uh, talk about the cause and origin, talk about the extent of mold within the building, and uh, I think most importantly, an agreed upon completion criteria. So that everyone agrees before the project happens, what's going to be acceptable uh, at the end. Okay. okay. All right. We're so, running a little low on time, but do you have another good one? To... I have a couple. John's on the line, actually. We're going to have Mr. Lapater here any second. Okay. Um, well, you're going to have Peter Cross as well, correct? That too. Yep. Okay. So I can skip over Peter's if you want. Um, I can give you uh, Ralph Moon's. Uh, Ralph Moon's expertise uh, is, is, is being an expert witness. Uh, he talked about some types of claims in which, or situations in which an expert witness would be needed. Uh, there's a difference between an expert witness and a fact witness. You know, a fact witness is someone who has firsthand knowledge. Expert witness uh, did not. He talked about building a resume, how important that is. Uh, he talked about uh, pre-deposition uh, preparation. Uh, he talked about the actual deposition itself. Uh, and, you know, what was funny is he says, you know, a lot of times, 
you know, there's some sneaky behind it. The, 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 the same tricks that happen, you know, at these depositions, like if they, if they know where the witness is going to be sitting, like they'll give them the most uncomfortable chair. Uh, <laughs> you know, they'll have them face towards a window. So he gets distracted and so on and so forth. And, you know, what he likes to do is turn the tables on these guys. He'll take a comfortable chair and give the opposing attorney the uncomfortable chair or kind of spin it around so that, you know, someone else is looking out at the window. Uh, not him. Uh, he, he talked about some tricky questions and and kind of how you can, uh, you know, deal with them uh, about getting prepared for trial, the actual trial itself. Uh, you know, he advised when you're asked a question by an attorney and you're at trial that you don't look at the judge, you look at the jury and, uh, you know, you try to make them like you. Uh, the importance of your direct testimony, that's where uh, your side is asking you questions, and that's really your chance to, you know, kind of show off and, and take the stage and so on and so forth. You know, he talked about, you know, the perils of cross-examination. Uh, so uh, that was, um, those were my comments on um, on Ralph. Uh, Rusty Amaranti was also uh, on the panel uh, there were three, uh, there are four things that I just want to uh, include that Rusty said. First of all, he agreed with uh, Peter Crosa. <laughs> you know, it was, and, and he made it a point to say that. The second thing Rusty talked about is the importance of transparency, uh, you know, on insurance claims. You know, nothing is hidden. It's kind of an open book, you know, with pricing and scopes and, and so on and so forth. He talked about the importance of communication. And the one thing that he left me with that I think was really the highest point and really the best advice was a bad settlement is better than a good lawsuit. And I thought that, <laughs> that was uh, some really, really good advice. So I'll turn it back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Well done. We've got John Lapoter. He is a building envelope and indoor environmental consultant providing IAQ consultation for commercial and residential properties out of the Orlando, Florida area. John, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you. You were in charge of the moisture part of the uh, conference, the moisture module. Get a couple quick highlights for our audience. Yeah, I think it was uh, awesome to see how we uh, go about separating moisture damage from the concrete to moisture damage uh, to the adhesives, to the efflorescence that could come from the foundation the salts and minerals to the different uh, flooring products and how they can fail. I mean, we had some really top tier people in there, both uh, uh, Bob's to talk about moisture in the slab and, and flooring failure as a result of inadequate product uh, application and selection. Um, it, it was outstanding work. And they also got rid of a lot of the beliefs that a lot of adjusters have uh, and uh, the insurance engineers that the water is magically making its way north, defying all uh, laws of gravity and pushing its way through 3,000 PSI concrete and causing flooring to fail. Or that the, the restoration world wants you to believe that if tile gets wet, it's going to need to come up or that it's going to fail. Um, so they dispelled a lot of those myths. Uh, but we also talked about a lot of the different uh, ways that you can measure moisture. Um, several different meters, several different methods from calcium chloride to ins uh, It was great to listen to these guys talk. These guys work all over the country and the world 
in measuring moisture, moisture in wood, moisture in flooring. Uh, so it's really great to see uh, how these guys can present based on past experiences and projects. I, you know, I get the impression from doing the moisture mob interviews and from what you just said, John, that, that the, the key takeaway is that IEPs and, and contractors who are evaluating moisture issues when you have concrete are should be more focused on the environmental conditions, the relative humidity in the air, the, the moisture uh, in the air, and how it interacts with that concrete as opposed to thinking that we're finding moisture leaks coming up from below. Uh, right. So a lot of times people will have very limited, if no moisture mapping, they'll just say, I checked the flooring and it was wet, but they won't give you any temperature or humidity of the room. So you can't include or exclude dew point. But one of the most critical takeaways that you'll find from every member of the moisture mob, uh, myself included, is that you have to first know the product. You need to know what the substrate is. You need to know what the adhesives are, the method of cleaning, and what the products are, because each one of these products can require different methods of prep to put down and different and are acceptable for different levels of moisture before you install them. So before you just touch a moisture meter to it, you have to ask yourself, does the moisture really matter? When, especially when we're dealing with flooring, because regardless of what the moisture is in, in new concrete, there's a product that can be installed on top of that green concrete. So it's probably in any home that was built within the last two years, not a moisture issue. It's probably a product specification issue. Now, granted, that changes when we start getting to the roof, <laughs> but at least in flooring, the indoor environment and the product specifications are probably more important than the current moisture content. But that was a great question. Good point. Excellent. And, and that's not to say that we're not still looking for potential liquid water impacts on slabs, etc. It's just that maybe we focus a little too much on that and don't include those other uh, key points that you mentioned. Right, absolutely. So the, the cause and origin of the moisture can be based solely on the occupants, the weatherization of the building, and elevated humidity. And people uh, don't take that into consideration often enough. Uh, in the hot, humid south, we recognize that, but, but not everyone that does what we do for a living takes that into consideration. But then there's always the hunt for if you do have liquid water damage, where is it coming from? How do I find it? And again, it, it all goes back to uh, it helps to have built a lot of these buildings in, in different climate zones and know how they're applied uh, and, and be the guy that has specified the products on hundreds, if not thousands of projects. So if, if you find one common note and theme between all of the Moisture Mob members is that we've all specified the use of products in different environments specifically so they will perform in those different environments. Well said, John. John, any other quick takeaways before we, uh, we're going to bring in John Downey? I don't know if we'll go to halftime first or not. It's going to depend on how long your answer is. Short answer, I was happy to be a member, always happy to be invited. Uh, loved everybody that was there. Uh, loved the Cajun crew. Ralph Moon is always entertaining. Um, Love that we were bringing in a focus on uh, air conditioning and dehumidification. That's our number one issue that we work on in our climate zone. Proud to be a member. And, and proud to be a part of it all. 
Hey, before you go, John, um, I noticed that Andy Osk did a presentation on what you were just talking about there, controlling moisture dehumidifiers with HVAC systems. I know you've been an advocate for uh, using standalone dehumidification or in conjunction with the HVAC system. Any key points that Andy brought out that you might want to relay to our listeners? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Andy is a firm believer in energy efficiency and maximum use of a dehumidifier, which is, has led to the dehumidifier only being able to be ducted into the supply plenum in our state because they made a code change. I don't agree with that code change. Um, you can change my name to Mr. Violator. <laughs> um, I, I do it for a different way. And oddly enough, um, Andy um, had approved my method of ducting for the reasons that I was using it for. And I don't think in, in talking with Andy that it was ever an intent to alter the code. He was just making a presentation on a best practice. Um, but I don't believe to be healthy, you can get there by being the most energy efficient. If I'm hooked up to uh, a, a breathing apparatus, I don't want the breathing apparatus to be focused on saving money. I want it to be focused on giving me all the air that I need while I need it. So I, I think there's probably a happy medium but I'm not so focused on saving the energy dollar as I am improving the indoor environment. But well, I, it goes back to that discussion of should the dehumidifier be going to the supply side? Should it be standalone? Should it have its own separate ventilation? Uh, I think those, there's different ways for different situations, but it sounds like Florida's now saying got to be tied into the supply. Got to be tied into the supply. Um, if you talk to the, the Cajuns and, and myself. So I, I need to correct something for the audience and also for the blog. Andy asked did not give that presentation. Andy had a last minute uh, family emergency. And Rick Sims, who is a well-known in the HVAC industry, him and his wife, Rick, are the owners of Johnson's Air Conditioning in Naples. He gave the presentation. He's worked with Andy for years. He gave a very high-level presentation with the psychometrics and the whole nine yards uh, that probably was a little over the head of some of the people. And this is something that him and Andy have worked on for many years. Andy specifically, about a year ago, we developed the program, wanted to do this presentation. So Rick gave it as a joint presentation for him and Andy. And there, there will be a handout in the uh, proceedings of Andy's presentation. Rick had a lot of uh, kind of proprietary stuff and he really stepped it up. So it, it, uh, it was a fabulous presentation, but Rick Sims was the guy. And uh, him and his wife, Rick, are the ones that uh, do the spring training that got postponed during the pandemic. And I think they're gonna be holding it next year. So I did want to get that in and okay. uh, pardon the interruption. I'll go back to you, Joe, for halftime. All right, thanks. Before we do, I've got a great, comment from someone who is at and presented at the event. Interesting to note that Bob, the concrete guy said that changing concrete formulas in the eighties resulted in poor performance and significant building failures today, like the collapsed condo in Miami. Don't buy a built in the eighties. All right. Uh, interesting stuff. Always good to get different perspectives. Mike McGinnis, one of the best. Let's stop for halftime. John, we'll be right back after we thank our sponsors, our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, 
instant results and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI Science. Org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview. We've got Mr. John Donny, a fourth-generation carpet cleaner and veteran of more than 45 years in the cleaning industry. He is currently the executive director of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, a proud sponsor of the IAQ radio program. John, do we have you on the line? You do. We do. Great. Great to see you, John. Likewise. You were the moderator of the materials section, and, and John Lapoter led beautifully right into your discussion here because he talked about the importance of materials uh, with flooring and moisture. Give us some highlights from your section, John. Uh, he did indeed. In fact, some of the things he talked about, I was uh, going to cover. So that will help us get caught up here. Okay. Uh, so the, um, as you said, uh, Pete, I give credit to you. You brought uh, first uh, moisture and materials, and and the effect of moisture really depends on the materials. And we had four people uh, who spoke on different types of materials. Uh, Ralph, well, in the first case, Ralph Moon spoke on research on uh, both wood and metal materials uh, that was extended over the course of uh, many months, uh, may, some of it might have been over a year, where they were looking, he was looking at, uh, and, and I'm familiar with Ralph's research because we actually published some of it in the Journal of Cleaning Science. Uh, but he looked at, you know, basically how wood and then how metal ages when exposed to different types of moisture, both uh, salt water, fresh water. Uh, and in, in um, laminated materials as well as uh, 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 regular wood, uh, you know, different types of wood, etc. And when Ralph first did the, that work, he, I, I believe he was focused on trying to figure out whether damage was 
a, a single event or a new event or was it damage that was chronic over the course of time? Uh, and it was related to uh, insurance claims for the most right. part. It was who's, so who's responsible for the for the issue? Exactly. And, um, you know, it from my I, I can't get into any particular part of it. Well, other than you, you kind of have to kind of see the pictures because it the, uh, the, the that is what uh, describes it better than anything else. But uh, it, he did not just focus on one type of wood or one type of material, but a couple different ones. I think it was um, like wood flooring. It wasn't wood flooring. It was like wood siding and like cabinets and, and things like that. And then metal. Uh, and he also got into different types of metal uh, and looked at the differences. But it was all very interesting and um worthwhile for better understanding what goes on when moisture invades a dwelling. And, and if I could, I, I want to kind of go, this really wasn't part of my, the material session per se, but it's probably the single thing. And I know that it's, it's uh, really simple and duh uh, information, but it was during the uh, uh, plenary or opening session by Paul and Claudette uh, one of them, I can't rem remember which it was, said all indoor environments get wet. That's always going to happen. It's yep. only a problem if they don't get dry. So, uh, and in today's world, one of the things that they focused on was how in today's world, with us sealing indoor environments up rather than leaving them open for, so that they can, um, when they get wet, they can more readily dry. Uh, it, it actually makes those of us in the business of drying structures, uh, it gives us a business to be in. Uh, the, so. next, the next speaker was John Hall. He spoke of roofs uh, and, and how, uh, you know, basically roofing materials, uh, moisture content in those materials, uh, where they become a problem. Candidly, I, most of, well, I was preoccupied during some of John's presentation and also was not my, kind of in my wheelhouse. So, um, you know, it's obvious that the, probably the most important material in any structure is the roof because okay. it keeps everything dry. Well, for the most part, uh, it's the most important thing to keep things dry. Uh, John, obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously to everyone, but as uh, Lapiter said uh, earlier, all these guys have de not years, decades of experience working with these things. And uh, I believe John was primarily focused on commercial buildings, commercial roofing, uh, flat roofs and things like that. Uh, but, you know, the, that kind of expertise that somebody like John has, it should be, that's the sort of person everybody in our business should have as somebody they can contact for uh, information. Uh, and we'll, uh, in the blog, we'll put a link back to the show we did with John because it was excellent. And um, I can understand why it'd be a little tough to cover in one, you know, in a short session like this. Sure. Uh, Steve Phillips uh, was the third speaker. Uh, Steve, like the others, 
incredible depth of knowledge. His focus was on wood flooring and, you know, how, whether you can dry it, how you can dry it, problems with drying it, especially over drying it, uh, moisture content, uh, natural moisture content, as opposed to, um, you know, whether, you know, to whether we, we get it to the point where it swells and is damaged irreversibly, or do we over dry it and cause cracking and, and um, other types of damage to the uh, flooring. Uh, and then the final uh, speaker in the material section, and I mean, Pete said to me before, um, you know, you got to get to know Bob Higgins, and he was so right. Uh, Higgins focused on concrete, and I mean, he's, again, decades of working with concrete. I think John mentioned how a lot of the concrete from the early 80s is now is now reaching the point where if it wasn't well made, something like the uh, condo collapse in, uh, where was it? Lauderdale? Uh, no, it was in Florida. So, uh, I think it was Miami. He, he discussed three different generations of concrete. I, I'm sorry that I don't remember the dates, but I'm thinking uh, the first the first one he mentioned was like early 80s, 80, 81. Then he mentioned something, I believe, not sure, but in the early 2000s. And then most recently, there is a new generation of concrete that uh, he has significant concerns with because it, it is designed to uh, for builders so that they can get things to dry out more quickly and speed up the construction process, but it it shortcuts important components uh, of drying concrete. And the last thing I would say on that, I, I think it was, you know, to me at least, I mean, for others it may just be, again, duh, but he talked about bad drying methodologies. And in particular, he talked about uh, the, the fact that it is not a good idea to bring heat into heat and airflow into drying uh, concrete, that it needs to be a nat. There's nothing, he didn't indicate there was a problem with uh, airflow per se, but when you add heat to airflow, you're, you're forcing an uneven type of drying that compromises the integrity of the concrete. It may work short term, but it ain't gonna work long term. He also repeatedly, uh, it seems as I recall, he repeatedly uh, you know, d not dismissed, but he, he he didn't indicate, as you said, Joe, that uh, the concerns about moisture coming up through concrete, for the most part, were not really the significant problem. It, it's more the other direction and and natural. As long as you have done things, if you if the construction was done in a reasonable way, the mm. that and 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 reasonable precautions were made and they followed proper protocols uh you know that is that kind of thing is generally not going to be a problem are there exceptions there's always exceptions but uh that wasn't nearly the problem that he seemed to think that the industry seems to think that it is gotcha
John, thank you. Always great to see you. Great to talk to you. We'll see if we can get you back for the roundup. Let's go to John Isaacson, the next John, the intentional restorer. He's a contractor, an author, and the host of the DYO Joe podcast. He also speaks, writes, and coaches through his organization, the DYO Joe. John, welcome back to IAQ Radio. Thank you for having me, Joe and Cliff and the IAQ audience. Your section was mold. That's right. That's a pretty big topic, John. I don't know if you can <laughs> if you can summarize for us in about five or ten minutes exactly what happened there. But there was, uh, let's see, Rachel Adams spoke, Mike McGinnis, who's on the line, spoke, Bavarian Bob Blockinger was there, and uh, let's see what your highlights were. I was told I would have 90 minutes. No, 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 that's all right. <laughs> okay, uh, I wrote, to try to be concise, I wrote some of my notes down, so... We had Rachel Adams Beha, the queen of mold, um, and she talked about um, the, how the standards are a baseline. You know, a lot of people like to brag. I know this is a point for Cliff, like to brag about their knowledge of the standards. And that's just admitting that, you know, the baseline of what we all should be doing. She spent a good amount of time talking about the LCCCs of the standards, the limitations, complexities, complications, and conflicts, which was really good. And she mentioned deviations are common, but it's very important to be sure you document what you did and why you deviated from the standards, especially if something were going to go to litigation or be reviewed by others. Um, I love this quote. She said, you can't have too much documentation unless it's wrong. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, and a really good point she made, a lot of people, and it was actually brought up from the audience where maybe the client or somebody wants you to deviate from what you know is right. And it's common practice by many restorers. Well, please sign this disclaimer and then we'll do something that is blatantly wrong or contradicts our ethics. And she said, a disclaimer is not justification and will not cover you if, if you do the wrong thing. And her quote was, your customer cannot sign away your liability or negligence. So in a court of law, why did you do that, Mr. Contractor or Mrs. Contractor? Well, the customer signed this piece of paper is not going to hold up um, when you're supposed to be the professional on the scene. Um, She made a great point about saying no to a bad client. Um, We always try to encourage people the best time to fire a client is before the project starts. And uh, she seemed to echo that. Um, And... You'll have to reach out to her, but she really is not a fan of the word clearance. Um, and she made a good point about that. So uh, next, what, we had. What Mr. It, I'm sorry. What would she call it instead? Did she I, give you a, know, I, I had it in my notes. I think it was uh, verification, verification or, you know, post verification. Um, and that was, you know, like everybody knows, <laughs> it's just a capsule in time. Right. When you take that document documentation at the end of a project um, well that's a good point yeah, yeah yeah you're not clearing it for the next 50 years you yeah i'm not well i think she'd be a fan of saying i'm not clearing you at all i'm just verifying what you did worked just verifying what you did and like john said earlier i'm verifying that this part of the building is not going to adversely yeah. impact other parts of the building yeah. you're not guaranteeing their health or anything like that that's that's the kind of thing that gets people in trouble go ahead john i'm sorry yep no uh, next, the Jersey boy, Michael McGinnis, came up. Um, man, uh, I think he put on a workshop on how to give uh, an interesting presentation. Uh, <laughs> he started the talk 
I've got a lot to get through. I don't have time for questions, so shut up and buckle in. And immediately <laughs> people started raising their hands. I don't like you. I don't like you. <laughs> so um, that was that was great. Uh, I hear you brought about, down the house. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jobs work better when we work together was a great quote. Um, his presentation was on dumb things he's observed over um, the course of his career. And so he, he was making the point that dumb is a choice. You know, we have so much access a piece of history that um, I want to look more into. He talked about the Mid-Atlantic Environmental Hygiene Resource Center, MERC, M-E-H-R-C, yep. in 92. You know, so this precedes, you know, a lot of the standards and other things. So you have these items going on simultaneously. Um, but now restorers have no, or assessors have really no excuse to be ignorant, right? I mean, information is readily available um, I think we talked in other venues about sometimes it's digging through the noise, but uh, he talked about you're allowed to be ignorant, but you're not allowed to be dumb. <laughs> um, and the core message of his presentation was the four P's, people, pathways, pollutants, and pressure. I love that. You know, it really comes down to four simple things when you're doing an assessment or a remediation, you know, um, those four things. So, you can kind of, if you know one of those elements, you can start work your way through the other three. Um, uh, he had a really great quote too. We don't have mold issues. We have moisture issues. And if you don't solve that, um, then you're wasting your time. Uh, <laughs> and yep. in, in his words, getting wet isn't the sin, staying wet is, um, which yep. I think is another way that echoes what uh, Dr. Claudette and Paula Grand said. Um, <laughs> and, and another final, it was, he had a lot of great quotes. If you never get away from the basics, you never have to get back to them. There um, you so go. <laughs> well done. Well said. Um, and then Did you have had, another uh, one? Bob, yeah, Bob Lotchinger. Great guy. Variant Bob, the member. Uh, Pete says he is the East Coast enforcer of the moisture mob. Um, I have to apologize. I had to slip away just a little bit early on his presentation because I had an interview on Straight Talk with Jeff Cross. And if anybody hasn't watched, the one with Cliff and Pete is really excellent. I don't like the word consultant, and I'm going to tell you why. Any word that begins with the word con. Like consigli? Well, <laughs> well, hang on. Well, hang on. <laughs> yeah, it'll be there. <laughs> Uh, Jeff's delivery is, 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 is just spot on. Um, and so, uh, but Bob's, the points I got from Bob was, you know, basically shortcuts will cost you. He talked about how the installer, <laughs> again, back to the basics. Like if you never get away from the basics, you have to go back to them. He was talking about read the dang instructions, get the right glue, make sure the, the surface you're adhering to is, has the right moisture, um, that you've done the right prep, um, you know, and, and spending that thousand dollars kind of going back to what Rachel said, if the customer wants to dictate how you do your things and you're having them sign disclaimers to not do it right, <clears throat> it's going to end up costing you more and costing the client more. So, you know, being better communicating, this is why we need to do this. This is why it costs a little bit more, um, so that we don't have to come back and, and redo it. But, uh, yeah, do the prep, read, read the instructions and, um, and I, I think it talked to, you know, John brought it up, being a builder has made him a better assessor. 
Bob talked about being a, a former installer has made him, um, you know, a better assessor as well. So even if you're not, if you, if you don't have that history, I, I think an encouragement to ins- assessors would be to get out and, and observe how things are installed so you can um, better understand how to uh, inter- interact on that. Um, and then I think Rachel gave uh, one of the best summaries of the event as a whole, you know, big credit to AML and Ron and the team and, and Pete for just putting an all-star lineup together. But she said she wanted to be in every presentation. And I think that was um, telling of the event. The speakers stuck around and wanted to listen to and be engaged in every presentation. There wasn't one that you wanted to miss. And then they often were the ones also asking questions, you know. And so I, I think uh, if you put it on your calendar for 2024, because it's so much more than just assessors and remediators. I mean, there's moisture, like moisture and materials. Um, even I, I do primarily repairs and I got a ton out of it. So. Great, okay. John. Thanks so much. And uh, keep up the good work with the DO Joe. Ken Larson, he's been in the restoration industry since 1978. He's the recipient of the 32nd Martin Gell King Award for many contributions to the uh, sincere dedication to the restoration industry. Ken is the author of one of the industry's leading technical uh, resource books, Leadership and Restorative Trying. Hello, Ken. Great to have you on. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. I really appreciate you um, uh, letting me uh, uh, give a little bit of a recap over the uh, uh, the methodology module. Uh, I had the privilege of being moderator on that. I see that we're kind of running short on time, so I'm going to be super quick. We had four speakers. We had Alice D- D'Elia, um, Dr. Alice D'Elia from uh, Laboratory. She's a laboratory director of Enthalpy Analytical, formerly PRISM. She was talking about fire and smoke residues. Then we had Cliff Lotnick, who was talking about finding odor sources. Ken Siders talked about being a, uh, a con- uh, an indoor environmental professional doing cat work, and he expanded onto being a restorer doing cat work. And then finally, we had Dr. Ralph Moon, who was talking about the correct use or responsible use of ATP meters. It was um, really good to uh, uh, hear each of these individuals discuss uh, their subject, um, and they were really very interesting. Uh, Dr. Alice D'Elia um, was talking about the uh, smoke inspections and what, uh, how the samples are collected, what they typically look for, and um, what they mean for those who have collected the samples. And so um, I, I, I talked to a few people that were at the event, and they were surprised to see that there were three things that uh, are typically uh, looked for in these smoke samples being soot, char, and ash. And what the differences, what the implications are when each of those are present. One of the things that I learned from her um, uh, presentation that I was not a, really that aware of, I kind of heard of this over the years, but I never really thought of the implications. In the IICRC courses, at least when I took my class, it was taught that smoke residues are acidic in nature, but that's not always true. It is possible to have an alkaline soot. And there are meanings uh, when you encounter that. Um, and so we were uh, exploring the chemistry on uh, what, uh, you know, what causes that difference in the pH and uh, how that can be useful in defining our uh, protocol and scope of repairs. 
really a fascinating scientific discussion. Um, Cliff Lotnick was talking about, um, uh, you know, finding odor sources, hunting for odors. And um, for those of us who have been in the industry for decades, uh, we will remember how Cliff, uh, how uh, Marty King uh, had a procedure that he used to uh, narrow down where the sources of odors uh, was emanating from. Cliff took that idea, really explored it, and and dug into how this um, uh, method of finding the odor source could be improved, and he succeeded in pr producing a system that um, proved where the source was coming from. And it was such a good idea, he put a patent pending on that thing. <laughs> and it was very cool to see the um, uh, the tools that he designed. Uh, for this new procedure. And uh, it's kind of cool to be on the cutting edge um, uh, information uh, um, uh, source by going to this event and learning how these entrepreneurs, these um, uh, innovators are finding solutions to common problems in our industry. Following we can Cliff learn more, by the way. Uh, just so people know, last week, Cliff did his presentation on IAQ Radio, so we'll link to that in the blog as well. Go ahead, Ken. Outstanding. Finally, Ken Siders was talking about doing cat work um, and how dangerous it can be going into catastrophe uh, zones when there's no power, where there's no security, there's no police, there's no telephones, there's you know all kinds of limitations and how to survive and actually prosper uh, doing catastrophe work. Everybody thinks there's just a whole bunch of work. Let's go get some. Man, it is not that simple. And it was really good to hear Ken Siders describe some of those challenges and how he manages those. The one thing I took away from his presentation is this. Most restorers who are doing cat work are realizing the value in surrounding themselves with indoor environmental professionals and experts on their jobs in a cat zone because standing alone can sometimes be difficult to defend so especially doing cat work so uh, i i thought that was a very valuable message and finally dr ralph moon talked about the use and misuse of atp meters the short answer on that is that if you read the manuals about atp meters um, they are designed to uh, um, uh, determine a clean surface on a hard, non-porous surface. So when you see these contractors testing porous materials like carpet and fabrics and um, you know even some uh, unfinished woods, uh, these can produce results that will be difficult, if not impossible, to interpret. And that was the point on on his presentation to be careful how much you rely on that one single measure when you are uh, consulting on projects. And so all in all, it was a wonderful presentation. I can't wait to go to the next one. Ken, thank you. That, that was exactly what we were looking for, all, all four of you. I want to thank again John Lapotere, John Donnie, John Isaacson, and Ken Larson. Let's see how the roundup goes. If we have a chance, maybe we can get a final thought from one of you or all of you. Let's go to the roundup, John.
The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, let's see if we've got Brittany and Ron, Brittany Gordon and Ron Mazur from uh, AEML Labs. Maybe say hi real quick to us and uh, give their thoughts. Hey, guys. Hi, Brittany. How are you guys doing? Good. We pulled you away from the microscope. I know you both were reading samples. Yes, yes, we were, especially him, this guy over here. (laughs) On stop, is he? What were your highlights? Listen, we're going to keep this really short and sweet. I know we're uh, kind of running low on time, but Ron and the entire AEML staff here, uh, we believe in one kind of goal here, and that's education and connection between all else. Um, that's the most important aspect of our entire industry. And I think that we've seen that in winter break, or at least that's what we're trying to bring together at winter break. And I know that you guys on IAQ Radio have been doing that for years. And we've kind of taken that and tried to provide that at winter break as well. Um, so. Really, we appreciate everything that you guys have done, and thank you for always having us on and supporting us. Um, you guys do amazing work, so please keep up the good job. We appreciate your support. Ron, final thoughts? Uh, no, she said it all, but just want to say thank you, Joe, and thanks, Cliff, for all you did. Great to see you, Ron. All right, let's go to um, – how about uh, – do we have Peter Kroos on? That's that's a key guy right there. And I know he's been hanging in there for us. Peter. Okay. Yeah. Listen, it was a great uh, conference. What uh, what I can say is that the key term in, in my presentation was relationships, building relationships with adjusters. It helps if you try to do this before you meet them on a claim. So join their claims organizations, attend the meetings, start building relationships then. But if you find yourself on a claim with a stranger and you get a sense that it's adversarial, you got to look at this as if it's the potential, the beginning of a long-term relationship. Even though it does end up adversarial, there's a way in time to develop that relationship so that the next time you meet them on a lost site, it's a little bit easier going. That's it. A great claims tip from a great claims professional, Peter Croso. Thank you, sir. Always great. We'll get you back for a little longer segment sometime down the road. No problem. All right. I think that's Peter. Not I think were we able to get Richard Alexis? I want to wrap things up with Richard if at all possible, and then go back to Pete and Cliff for final thoughts. Richard was uh he was the, the founder of the precursor to winter break in 2014-15, the ISF event. Joe, you were there at the first one in Sunrise, which is uh, outside of Fort Lauderdale, and then in Tampa, 216, the I the IQ radio and uh, Cliff was on the ground. Um, and that's when Lapiter and Moon and Larson, a number of other people were involved in that. And uh, the event started to evolve. We did an IEQ radio show on that. Maybe you put the link in the blog. It dates back. And then, you know, the winter break uh, was delayed from being rolled out because of Irma and a few other things. And then 2020, we were the last event with the IEQA that the week of President's Day and rolled out. And after that, the world shut down for a couple of years. So Richard was there. And, uh, you know, we recognize him as the, uh, I, I called him the brainchild of the ISF. And um, anyway, it was good to see some of the old timers and some of the past speakers like Howard Newmark and others who were on the 2020 program and, you know, been big supporters of education in the South Florida area. So uh, in any case, uh, I thought, you know, we, uh, um, we, we gave a little recognition in the program and I know Cliff put it in the blog last week too. 
So, uh, so that's final that's thoughts. Yeah. So uh, the one thing I, I'd like Cliff to do, Mr. Zlotnick, um, is although Peter kind of weighed in when you were giving your your initial overview on the actual legal workshop, whatever takeaways you had on Peter's talk, I, I'd like you to cover in your closing comments because Peter talking about what he thought is a little different than the Z-Man's take on that. And, I, and uh, I, I think it would be valuable to the audience for you to comment that and then you know, decide if you want to put that in the blog outside of what Peter said. Um, so Joe, you know, my final thoughts are, is that uh, number one, we have, you know, God, we had 30 plus 35 people call in today. I was glad to see that. And of course, a lot of my friends and people like Charlie Cassani that was going to try to come from California to couldn't. Of course, Ed Light's on there and uh, uh, Jason from Hawaii. He won the first, he won that uh, Particle Plus counter, which was amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, Mickey Lee, another member of the Moisture Mob and the Restoration family. Okay, Mike Miles, long term, and of course, uh, Mikey Boy, uh, Sarah Mack with Enthalpy Labs. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for all your support and, uh, and uh, making sure Alice was in all the right places at the right time. She really did a great job. You know, so it's good to see, you know, a lot of the regulars kind of calling in. And I think the blog is really going to be fantastic. But uh, here's another coincidental thing. There were two grand mega prizes that were given out. With um, One was the Particle Plus uh, brand new 8303, which uh, Adam, uh, the, found, the founder of Particle Plus, was going to roll out an ashtray the following week. I guess it was this week. And anyway, he rolled it out at our event and he said, based on stuff that Jay Stake and John Lapitor had given them. They developed this meter to kind of be uh, similar to the, to the you know more high quality one that they have, and uh, it was unbelievable. A guy who came from Hawaii actually won. We had 200 names in there, just floating them up, pulled Jason's name out. But uh, the other really big shout out goes to Tramex. Tramex donated over $5,000 worth of meters as door prizes. They had their restoration tech one which a local couple, a restoration couple from Orlando or somewhere upstate Florida won that. And, um, but then the mega prize at the end was what's called their master kit. It was in a big box. And the guy who won that was our old buddy, Jeff Charlton, him and Stephen Richard from the UK, long-term ASCRREA guys certified. They started the BDMA, which is the British Damage Management Association certification uh, several years ago, 1999, 2000. And he came over for the event and uh, he won it. So these two guys that come the farthest, of course, Evie from Australia came the furthest, but uh, she had to leave after day one and she was going to ASHRAE and surfaces. And I think she'll be at IAQA. She had made a mistake in her schedule, so she couldn't stay for day two. But, you know, she always puts a bunch of energy into anything she goes to and everyone's tracking her on social media. So we know where she is. But Jeff wins this from, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So I sent an email to the Tramix people and I said, you know, if we knew Jeff was going to win it, you could have just shipped it, you know, from Ireland over instead of it having to come here. And then he had to unpack it and he took it back with him. But he also stopped. Uh, I had lunch with him and uh, uh, Bob Blotchinger. He took a little tour of the AML lab on Monday before he left. And we went and had lunch, uh, took a picture, sent it to Jason. And Jason, I don't know whether you know this, but Bob has a buddy of his uh, who's uh kind of a third party evaluator who lives in Hawaii. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up with you and see if you know the guy, because, uh, you know, it's kind of a small world where you can kind of network everybody together like this. And maybe if you don't know him, he bills to call and go out to lunch and do some business. But the, uh, the amazing thing is 
is that with all those names in there, I think it was Carmen, Joe. These two guys who came up farthest and won these these two prizes. We had a variety of other prizes. AML and Anthony gave $1,000 packages away. John Dunn gave a FLIR $700 camera away. And then all almost all the other sponsors gave gift cards and, and some products and uh, and audio stuff and all kinds of things like that. The It, it was great. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it got people back in the seats on time, kept us on time, which is really important with the CEUs and the state that, you know, you, you stay within those time limits to get the credit. And so we uh, we kind of did this, and we really I really want to thank everyone who contributed and, and participated. And it, it was a fun event. Besides being educational, it was fun, and uh, and a, a lot of great interaction. And uh, as always, uh, Joe and Cliff, you know we we appreciate you uh, covering and, and pulling out the good educational stuff that'll be be good for your audience. So Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Any comments on uh, Peter would be great because I I wasn't able to be in the room, you know, Joe. I couldn't have been in there. I, I weighed in on the chat log and some stuff as we were going on the proceedings and some of the things that they were common. And, you know, I was uh, the main organizer with the hotel. I had so much on my plate. A lot of these guys I've heard talk. I would have liked to have been in there, but I went out of my way to sit in there for most of Ken Sider's talk. I hadn't heard him talk before. And let me tell you, Cliff, Ken Sider's talk reminded me of the kind of talks that we used to give back in the 90s and the 80s at ASCR and REA where the members and the people talk about case studies, lessons learned, jobs that they did. You don't get as much of that anymore in the industry, but that's so valuable. And the people really love that information. You know, it's not like some rocket science and you're giving all the trade secrets away. Just say, hey, this is what we had. These were the challenges. This is what we did. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. And this is what we learned. So the next time we could do it better. And I want to thank Ken uh, and uh, his company, House Check Environmental. They, they sponsored a legally happy hour after the workshop. And uh, he did a fabulous job. So thank, thank you to everybody. And uh, thank you, Joe. I knew we were going to run a little bit over. We're right on time. We said we'd run at 12.15. We got three minutes. Cliff, I turn it to the oh. man, my friend. I, hey, did I tell you how much I love you guys today? Particularly you, Mr. Slotnick. <laughs> I, I love you. And I said, and Downey and all my friends. Back to you, buddy. Okay. All right. A couple things uh, on my notes on Peter Crosa. Uh, number one, that not all adjusters are the same. There's different types of, uh, of adjusters. Not all adjusters have the same agenda. Uh, don't forget adjusters need us. Uh, an adjuster's estimate can be useless. Uh, <laughs> an agreed price repair is golden. Uh, supplements on projects are common. And then he gave some advice, uh, which I think is really important, uh, what your credentialing institutes need to do immediately. And what he suggested is that the IICRC, ACAC, uh, RIA, uh, et cetera, reach out to the adjusting community, number one, set up a dedicated adjuster's webpage. And, and the purpose of this is to fight fraud. Fraud gives our industry a bad name. The, the few bad apples, uh, you know, ruin the barrel. And uh, that's one of the ways that Peter said that uh, if you meet a new adjuster and it's adversarial or whatever, I mean, you can just tell them straight up that, look, uh, we're not going to have any fraud on this claim. I'm against fraud. And uh, those people give, those bad actors give us uh, a bad name. I thought it was just great advice all around and he did a great job all right well pete 
Cliff, thank you, gentlemen. I also want to thank our guests today. We had uh, John Lapoteer, John Diney, John Isaacs, and Ken Larson. Thank the folks that came in for the roundup. Most importantly, John, you got to have faith. Our engineer, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, uh, the Restoration Industry Global Watchdog, our growing group of listeners. Oh, by the way, next week, another legend returns to IAQ Radio, the life and times of J. David Miller, uh, top mycotoxin man in the world. We're going to get his thoughts on uh, a lot of this stuff that's going on today with mycotoxin testing and so forth. Looking forward to a great show on the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.